I'm very excited to introduce our guest today. He is the author of Bitcoin, Everything Divided by 21 Million. I had the pleasure of hearing him speak at Bitcoin Amsterdam and have had a few conversations with him as well. Excited to introduce Knut Svanholm. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. And nice to see you again, Q and Pete. <laughs> it's great to see you. So yes, that is an incredible on, background, by the way. Yeah, I have this light thingy here that I borrowed from a friend. I'm on Madeira at the moment. So yeah, setting oh, up a right. quick studio here and I needed to blur out the background because it was <laughs> flashing. So yeah, there's that reveal. <laughs> well, it looks, it looks stunning. Can you give us a... <laughs> A brief summary, a more in-depth summary of who you are and you know how you see yourself in the Bitcoin space for the audience. Yeah. Before I forget, though, I'd like to add to that last thing about honeypots there while I remember it, if I may. Please. I had a conversation with a guy in, in Amsterdam who told me a story about his hometown between the wars, World War One and World War Two. They counted, there was a, a population count in, in Holland and they, they counted the people and on the form where you registered your name and address and so on, you could voluntarily enter your, your faith and what church you belong to. And, of course, some people put Jew. And in this particular town, the, the library in which this record was held, the relative of this person I talked to in Amsterdam burned the whole thing down. So the honeypot was gone. And they had 25% more survivors during the Holocaust than wow. the other surrounding towns so that that really stuck a chord with me that that story and about the importance of avoiding honeypots yeah i think that's oh. that's oh are you still Free, there freeze let's see are you oh, here, I, I think you're back yeah i was gonna say yeah. i think that also drives home a really important point which is one of the responses that i often get is people say things like well i mean but we can trust x entity and the part of the problem is that even if you do trust that entity, you don't know what's going to happen to that data later. That entity may get acquired. To your point, there may be a regime change, and then that data gets exactly. basically, you know, stolen or just requisitioned. And so you just don't know. Once you put that data out there, once that metadata exists, you can never get rid of it. No, exactly. There's you can trust the the current ruler, but you don't you know nothing about the successor. The, so, yeah, just the importance of that thing. Anyway, who am I? I I'm a guy who wrote three books books on Bitcoin, Bitcoin sovereignty through mathematics, Bitcoin independence reimagined, and now the latest is Bitcoin everything divided by twenty one million, which is also like the the sentence I'm most known for, I think. And I've had a completely amazing journey in Bitcoin since 2019 when I brought hand luggage full of books, 50 books to Riga. So I, the Sovereignty Through Mathematics, my first proper book, when I handed, handed out half of it to important people in Bitcoin and sold the rest. And the rest is history. Now that book is recommended on MicroStrategy's website, hope.com. And I got to speak in Amsterdam and I'm a very happy boy. Can you do you mind you know sharing how you were orange pilled? And I always love asking, you know, when you first learned about Bitcoin, like what was your initial response? Because I think for most people, it was they most people didn't understand Bitcoin when they first heard about it and like turned away from it. Well, I don't remember my exact story, like what what year or like I, I guess it's like fourteen, fifteen ish that that era. I know I started writing about it in 2017 after having taken an online course in, in 2016 and looking up to Andreas Antonopoulos, just just the idea of this guy flying around the world talking about Bitcoin and how awesome that seemed. So, But one of the things I do remember is being baffled by the idea of something on computers which could not be copied. And that's that thing in itself caught my attention very much because my, I grew up with a Commodore 64, very basic computer, and I taught myself how to program at a, a, a young age. And the, the first program you learn in basic is 10 print hello and 20 go to 10. And then 
magic appears because the screen says hello, 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 hello over and over again. And you quickly realize that everything on a computer can be copied. So then this thing shows up that cannot be copied. And to me, that was sort of like, oh shit, someone invented a time machine or something because that's, that's quite profound. The nature of data itself is that it's copyable. It's just ones and zeros. So, so that's what I found intriguing with Bitcoin, even, even at a very early stage. And I had a very short <laughs> shitcoin period because of that. I, I invested the giant sum of $10 into shitcoins, $1 in each, and eight of them went down and two of them went up. And I thought to myself, I'm never going to, to <laughs> figure out which ones are going which way which direction. So I better just stop this and do something better with my life than become a trader. So yeah, and I, I, I enlisted to that course and I got all this knowledge and I thought, well, what am I going to do with this now? So, and I had just read Skin in the Game by Nassim Taleb. So I thought, why not start writing about it and attach my name to it and, and see where it leads. And here we are. And here we are, and, and you're in Madeira, and I know you and I were, were talking a little bit about what you're doing in Madeira, but for our audience who's not aware, do you mind sharing? Yeah, uh, the I ended up in a by <laughs> sliding on banana skids back and forth throughout the world for the last half year since Bitcoin Miami, really. I ended up at the presidential palace here in, in Madeira. And I am now a part of the Free Madeira organization together with another with a group of around 20 big names in Bitcoin. And we're helping helping Madeira make the transition into a hyper-Bitcoinized world go smoother by cooperating with the government here, who is fully orange-pilled. I know that there are hardcore Bitcoiners in just about every institution on the island. And an, an island semi-nation like this, it's a semi-autonomous region, classified as an outermost region of the EU, still part of Portugal, but it has some autonomy. And this island could set an example for similar regions in the EU or in Europe, I should say, to, to, to take this step instead of the other. Because the way I see it, we have two choices at this point on this continent. And one is Chinese-style authoritarianism, constant boot to the face, Orwellian nightmare CBDC future, which most people seem to prefer. Or we have Bitcoin, which is the, the other horse we can ride, the Trojan horse that will set us free and stop believing in that these alleged emperors have clothes, which they don't. The borders don't, do not exist and we could just cooperate, cooperate voluntarily instead of under threat. I don't know if you guys saw that video that was circulating online, I think two days ago, of Europe and it was a time lapse of just a map of Europe and how the borders have changed so much for the last 1,000 years. And yeah. it, it's just a reminder that these borders were just figments of our imagination that honestly are not older than most of the buildings that they essentially close off from the rest of the world. Oh, like exactly. the streets walking around Amsterdam, we were talking about this. The, the buildings you would walk by in Amsterdam were there longer than the current setup of the EU has even existed. But for most people, they've known both of those things to be true forever, just like they've known the US dollar to be the global currency forever. So it's really hard, I think, for people to grasp and shift their mind. I'd love yeah. it if you could talk about like what does it take for people to start to unlearn all of these things and start to learn just Dare I say the truth? Dare I just simply say Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah, same thing. I mean, walking down downtown in Amsterdam is is wonderful. It's a beautiful town, and it's beautiful because it was a free market place. Like a lot of the free market ideas originated from there, and the Hansa and so on, and trading with the U.S. and whatnot. A lot of the the, the town has a lot of trading history and the, the older i get the the more i realize like how how long or rather how short a lifetime is but that history is not 
that far back, just a couple of generations back, none of these, like you say, all the borders were different and different ideas ruled the, ruled the world than they do now. And we, we, we think the, the world is static, but it's anything but. It's very dynamic and it changes all the time. So uh, I just want to be on the right side of history and uh, be, be on the good team rather than the bad team. That's the way I see it. I, I think you need sort of an inquisitive mind to, to, to be curious about Bitcoin in the first place. And if I can play a part in, in helping people become more inquisitive, then yeah, that, that's, that's sort of what I want to do. I want to provoke thought in, in people. In your, in your keynote, you were kind of talking more on the philosophical side and the benefits of Bitcoin. And in particular, just, you know, having this openness to think about things and life differently. Can you give us an example of a younger Canute and things that he thought and what happened to make you change your mind and what you think about and how you think differently about it now? Before you answer that, I have a question. Is your name pronounced Knut or Newt? Knut, with a K. Okay. The K, the K is not You silent. are literally the worst pronunciation for me. <laughs> I businesses. beg your forgiveness and crave your indulgence. Yeah, I'll yeah. Never make the same mistake. <laughs> Everyone makes the same. As, uh, yeah, not, but, apparently not Q. No, Canute corrected me the first time we ever spoke, so I, I will not act like I'm perfect. <laughs> oh, <did> I? <laughs> Have, however, P, you are absolutely notorious for butchering names and especially the names of companies. <laughs> it's true. It's true. English words, right. I'm exceptional at, but names, I fuck it up every time. Can you please continue? <laughs> All right. I, th- th- that's, that was a great question. I realized yesterday while br- browsing YouTube, Pink Floyd's The Wall movie had a huge impact on how I view the world. I saw that when I was 16 and it was pretty profound. Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty profound at the time. It, it, if you remember that movie, it's, I like it them because it, it, it was not, like no other movie. The, the, the storytelling is very different from a linear movie. But it starts with this guy whose father died in the war. And there's a powerful line about that's when Her Majesty's royal command took my daddy from me and stuff. And that's, that's so, so tough. And like some institution has the right to take someone else's life and order them to die for a higher cause. And what, what, what that does to the, the generations that follow. And of course, after that, there's the whole school system thing where, where you have this meat grinder factory mashing people together into you know voting cattle so so i think in hindsight that that movie probably had a big impact on on how i view the world and how how i detest collectivism but more than that then i i grew up on the countryside with a liberty-minded father and i sailed the seven seas as many of you know i i worked on a tall ship for for eight years and i saw a lot a lot of different countries even when, when I was a kid, I, I lived abroad a couple of times, ha- half a year in Mozambique when I was like 10-ish or 10 or 11 and in Tanzania and some other places. So, so I, I guess I, I was less inclined to believe whatever national lies were around at the time. Remember the 80s in Sweden, we had no commercial TV channels and no commercial radio channels. It's all state-owned and it is still to this day, to, to a large extent, there's a subsidy system so that big media companies get the money from the state. And of course, they don't bite the hand that feeds them. So, so there's that. But in the 80s, it was really, really cut off from the rest of the world. We got to watch cartoons once a year during Christmas Eve. That's when we got to see Donald Duck once a year. So that's how, how growing up in Sweden in the 80s was. It was pretty, pretty dark in hindsight. Yeah. So I guess all of those things influenced no, my thinking. Yeah. I want to talk though about time preference. And yeah. for our audience members who maybe don't understand this, could you help them understand what's the difference between a high and low time preference? Yeah, uh, a high time preference is when you prioritize quick satisfaction, when you don't delay gratification so if you're robbed of everything you own you adopt a high time preference because you need to because you need food to survive 
and you need shelter to not in most places you need shelter not to freeze to death at night so so you become a high time preference individual prioritizes short term gains which also makes you prone to you know crime and you know bad decision making short term decision making and a low time preference is the opposite of that that's when you think about the future and you think about forthcoming generations you plan ahead and you build something for the future and i believe that high a high time preference and a low time preference are on the same scale as fear and love because a high time preference to me is a fearful state of being and what's the opposite of fear the opposite of fear is love so having a adopting a lower time preference or being able to adopt a lower time preference because you have more capital and more a more certain future that allows you to be more loving to to not only your your fellow human beings but to yourself and i think this is the killer app of bitcoin is that it makes us better human beings it makes us friendlier to one another and also friendlier and more loving to ourselves we can afford to to take care of ourselves and take care of others to a larger extent and this is my talk was about this to to a large extent it ties into something my grandfather said which is that which you can do without you own which is something that been stuck in my mind ever since the first time i uh, since the first time i heard it and it's the like the flip side of your 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 possessions end up owning you because if you can control your mind to an extent where you to the extent that you don't crave things anymore then you own those things that you don't crave in a sense so if i i for instance i would never buy a lambo regardless of how many <laughs> how much bitcoin i have or how wealthy i become i don't crave lambos so in a in a sense i own all the lambos because i control my <laughs> urges <laughs> and i i think bitcoin is like a, a gateway drug to that insight sooner or later coiners come to the realization that they don't need that much shit in their life material things matter less and less the longer you are in bitcoin and it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out because in in fiat land as we know in order to become rich or when you do become rich you buy a, a load of shit bling bling and crap that you don't need <laughs> and i think this reverses on a post hyper bitcoinization we'll we'll have an abundant future without over consumption because we won't crave as much shit as we do now and i think that's the real killer thing here so i want to try to unpack that a little bit and i and there's a question behind all of this and, and I'll start with the question, which is, do you think people recognize that when they use fiat money, it inflates so regularly, so they need to be spending it constantly versus with Bitcoin, I think all of us recognize the value proposition of spending our Bitcoin today is far greater than if we were to hold it and then spend it in the future. I don't think they realize it on a conscious level but that's what it does to people right. and people who acquire assets and take on big loans win the fiat game that's how you win you you buy a, a ton of shit including houses for instance and yeah p your house is a shit coin yeah <laughs> real estate is a shit coin right fair i saw saw some metric from the us that over half of the real estate bought in the us last year was not for people to to live in themselves but for Airbnb use. So it's yep. becoming this you'll own nothing and you'll be happy is playing out in, in front of our eyes. But I prefer the you'll owe nothing and be happy future of, of Bitcoin because just just replace one letter and, and you, you get the Bitcoin future, which is you accumulate capital first and then, then you consume if you're willing to part with your Bitcoin. And the, the longer you hold your Bitcoin, the 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 more you realize how valuable they really are. And that's where I come to this, the second prediction about the future. And that is that I've experienced it even now because I've collaborated with a whole bunch of Bitcoiners like, and they've given me stuff. They've given me their services and physical stuff like Fractal Encrypt's art pieces, for instance. And, you know, the, 
they've helped me with translations and proofreading and editing and animations and narrations and you name it all for free we, we very rarely exchange satoshis with one another and that sort of leads me to the conclusion that us being nice to one another is just gresham's law on a bitcoin standard because we 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 find our stacks to be so valuable so we're willing to stake our reputational capital instead. And, and uh, that is the less valuable coin if you compare the two. So I think there's a, a connection there. And that's why I think that the necessity for money to exist at all goes down on a hyper-Bitcoinized world. That's, that's the real scaling solution. Fewer transactions are necessary. This, ironically, this don't trust verify attitude of Bitcoiners leads to a world in which we can trust one another more like if you if you compare it to how you interact with your friends and your family you very rarely exchange money there too like you you help one another without even asking for it and this is sort of where i think bitcoin is going or people in bitcoin are going towards a state where we we're always incentivized to help one another i mean it's not only the time preference thing but it's also pumping our bags. We want Bitcoin to succeed. Therefore, we want other Bitcoiners to succeed. This is why, we have, we're, why we're the main reason that we're having this conversation right now, right? Because we all love Bitcoin and we want others to come on board and enjoy it too. And in, in the process, we, we enrich ourselves if we hold some Bitcoin. So, so we're incentivized to help one another and exchange favors for free. And the, the funny thing is, that doesn't go away just because we hyper bitcoinize we still have that so the bitcoin the bitcoin private key is a key to your heart literally we run this mathematical experiment in the back of our heads and we just become better people and i just find that endlessly fascinating i can't stop thinking about it it gives me hope hey guys this is q from bitcoin magazine live as the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment in owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Come celebrate Bitcoin Winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th, Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. One of the things that I really enjoy thinking about is the incentive structures that Bitcoin creates. And one of the sayings that resonates with me, not because it is actually the case, but because it is a succinct way of talking about the incentives is Bitcoin is for enemies. Given everything you just said, I'm curious what you think about that statement. Do you, does it resonate for you? Does it feel incorrect? Yes and no. I love that it's for enemies because it makes us less of enemies. It makes us friends. It removes the profit motive from violent behavior against one another so that we, we're incentivized to, to live and let live. If, if I want to steal all your Bitcoins, Pete, I, I put a gun to your head and I say, give, your, you bastard. Give, give me all your Bitcoins, you one-letter name. <laughs> Uh, this is anyway the, mo the worst insult anybody has ever said to me. <laughs> I'm gonna need a moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's Knut, not not. Here, give me all <laughs> your bitcoins. And 
you give me, say, 0.01% of all your Bitcoins, and I think it's all of it, but you may still have like 99.9% .9 of it left. I cannot know because, as I put it in the, the second book, when, when you cannot know how much another person owns, which is the case right now for every person on Earth, by the way, and you cannot take it by force because of this scenario I just played out here, then there's no better way to enrich yourself in interacting with this person than, provi than by providing something of value back. So we're incentivized to trade rather than be violent. You know the old saying, when, when goods and services don't cross borders, soldiers do. It's the same thing here. But this is the only time we've had this weapon of peace, so that like peaceful trading is way more profitable than war and violence and coercion and taxes and inflation and all these bad or ma other mafia activities on a Bitcoin standard. That's just the case. You can't get around that. So... And should you shoot the person, they take their Bitcoins with them. And every other Bitcoiner gets a little wealthier. <laughs> of course, you remove one participant from the market. But still, the scarcity of the coins, the coins get even scarcer if someone dies with them in their head. So, you know, Bitcoin is a perfect defensive weapon in that case, a shield or a piece of armor against violent behavior because you take away the profit motive. And that... That plays out on every, every layer of society. So I'm hopeful. What do you feel like is the biggest hurdle to global Bitcoin adoption? A very good question. Time. The, the hardest question to answer is how long this will take. I think it's inevitable at this point. I think we're past the point of no return. And I also think, you know, some people say that some, a lot of Bitcoiners say we shouldn't take it as inevitable because that will make us lazy and we won't be as protective of the network as we should. But I think there's a there's an argument to be made for, for Bitcoin optimism, the, the opposite argument that we should take it for granted because the, the Pascal's wager actually works on Bitcoin. If I act as if Bitcoin exists, I actually increase its chances of success. The more firm my belief in this thing, the more the more I hodl, the more I convince other people to hodl. The 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 scarcer the resource, the, the the less the supply and the bigger the demand, the more number go up and number go up for developers too. So bitcoiners acquire more power by by being convinced about the thing and thinking of it as inevitable. That's that's how we win, and that's how we actually make it inevitable. So, I choose to be an optimist. I feel like, and you even said it. I'm going to steal your words from the stage. Like, rather than calling ourselves Bitcoin maximalists, we should just call ourselves Bitcoin optimalists. Because yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that uh, that's the best word. I came up with it on the spot, to be honest. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know if it had the, the impact it should have had, but. Yeah, but let's call ourselves a Bitcoin optimist. Uh, optimists. That's a good word, I guess. There's so much truth <laughs> to that too, though, because to your point, like, I don't think you can be a Bitcoiner without being optimistic that there is some ulterior option or path and to not become sort of this debt slave in a fiat system that just traps you and you're sucked in and you have no other choice but to work a job you don't want to pay off the debts that you didn't want or need to buy the Lambo that you never should have bought to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with, with the exception of P of course, P being the most pessimistic Bitcoiner of all. <laughs> I love how you're just like P is this P is that he's a cyborg. I'm, from trying to see I'm, I'm genuinely trying to see what the line is on PayPal. Of, of will me bullying P on this show cause me to it be fined $500? It takes far more than that. You've seen my Bitcoin wrench with all the knives taped to it. I'll fuck you up. I do, I do still have a Venmo account. I don't have a PayPal account, but I do have Venmo. <laughs> I, have too many, I have too many Normie friends. There's yes. the $5 wrench I carry around with me. Oh, times. that's... 
that's a fifteen dollar wrench. It might be. It might be. And in previous <laughs> in previous situations with Q, where he's threatened me, I tape a bunch of kitchen knives to it, and then sometimes I light it on fire as well, which is why it's all blackened. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, it gets shinier looks, towards the other end, but looks looks awesome. Yeah, yeah. Don't fuck around. <laughs> the the sad part is that is a real working wrench. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> someone someone out there could use that for work, but no, it's that P uses it as a glorified prop. Absolutely. Bet much better in my hands. Come on, bro. Please. All right. Knut, I'll bring it back to Bitcoin now. I appreciate you dealing with our tomfoolery over here. He loves it. He loves it. Love it. So I want to talk about just the idea of everything divided by 21 million. Could we unpack that? And does P fit into the everything that gets divided by 21 million? That body is a shit going. I've come to terms with that already. You need to bring it that, up every episode. Q. That equation makes absolutely no mathematical sense, but it's a hint at something what? that might might make practical sense. You've been lying to us this entire time? <laughs> yes, I have. God damn it. I got away with it somehow. <laughs> but it's a hint at what what this may lead to in the future. And the, the sentence I wrote is, imagine everything there is and everything that ever will be divided by 21. So it's not the infinity sign. It should have been a sigma sign for the sum of everything. So sigma all or something. But that wouldn't have made as good of a logo or a meme. So, so, so it's the infinity sign. But yeah, if all fiat goes to shit, there is only Bitcoin left. We realizes that they should accept nothing but Bitcoin for their goods and services. Then we live in a hyper-Bitcoinized world and we know that our Bitcoins are probably our most precious possession because it's the scarcest thing on earth. But that will just keep on playing out. I see no end point to hyper-Bitcoinization. It just keeps on, keeps on getting better. Yeah, maybe. So, I mean, a lot of people talk about Bitcoin absorbing the value of gold. We talked a couple of days ago with VJ Boy Abhati about you know, Bitcoin also absorbing things like the value of unused real estate, the value of sovereign bonds, the value of the equity markets. But I'm curious where you're looking for Bitcoin to absorb value from and if any of the printing over the last two years only, not even, I don't even want to go back the last 15, just the last two years, if that has an impact on where Bitcoin can sort of absorb value out of. Yeah, I'd like to quote Christine Lagarde as a, uh, an answer to that. And that is, if there's an escape, people will use that escape. And uh, that escape will be used. That's that's the quote, I believe. Oh, and God, I hate th so that, is, that is exactly what's going on. People want to escape the fiat slavery bullshit system. They don't want Christine Lagarde to be in charge of their lives. They want to reclaim the driver's seat. And the only way to do that uh, economically or financially is to, you know, hop over to a Bitcoin standard to a larger and larger extent. That's what you can do. And to me, using Bitcoin is not only spending sats or, or, or even receiving sats or even hodling sats. Using Bitcoin can be anything, really. I mean... In theory, I could have made my entire Bitcoin career without ever hodling a single Satoshi. Am I a Bitcoin user still? I think the line is, where do you draw the line? Uh, because at the end of the day, this is not money and this is not a currency or even, even a computer network or a protocol. Uh, the core of Bitcoin is an agreement between people on a fixed set of rules that allows us to interact in a certain way. So that's all it is. And if that's all it is, then everything is just information and communication. And a Bitcoin address can be generated by throwing a dice 99 times, and then you can receive Bitcoin, actual Bitcoin to that address via an SMS. So it's just, just the knowledge of that, and like that we have that capability, gives you enormous options when when you when you think about it and what that does to to how we interact with one another because the, the way i see it like if the the most popular game in the world is chess board game and the the rules of chess are known to a great many people 
So we all play by the same rules. So if, if you play by the rules, you can play with all the other chess players in the world. You can choose to, to meddle with the rules and play by some other rules, like without rooks or without queens or without pawns or whatever. And then you get to play with a couple of people, but not all the chess players in the world. And even if some chess organization claims that this is a new rule here, we're going to this and puts a stamp somewhere on paper, people, chess players will not, you know, follow that. They will go to the, they will still play by the rules. And if chess.com changes the rules, they will go to some other website and play chess there, right? And that's, that's what Bitcoin is. It's the rules of chess. It's a consensus between people, between the Bitcoin users. It's an agreement on a fixed set of rules. You can play chess cash with a 64 times 64 squared board with the same number of pieces or less. And it's just empty and there's no one there to play with. And that's Bitcoin cash. You can play some other complicated fucking game that no one understands. Like a couple of nerds can have a very fun time with playing you know, some World War II board game that takes four, four days to play and you have little miniature pieces. That's Ethereum. So have fun with that. Like, that's, that's fun. But no one else is going to play with it. And, <laughs> and that's the beauty of Bitcoin. It's simplicity and how it's just an agreement on a fixed set of rules. If you play by those rules, the game is human interaction. That's the entire game. Another way of interacting with one another. So... <laughs> Yeah, I, I choose to play that game because it's the best game I've played in my life. It unlocked so many doors, so it's just ridiculous. So I choose to play that game. And we can all do that. We can all benefit. Yeah, well, <laughs> you seem so disappointed to hear that all of your Bitcoin has absolutely no value and it's just data. It's just mathematics, yeah. I'm shook. My entire life is spooling yeah. out before me in my mind's eye. Have so, you ever thought you... of, uh, just to, to ahead, that point, ahead. have you ever thought of, I think about this a lot, if, if the words money and cash, peer-to-peer -peer cash system and so on were never mentioned in the white paper, but the white paper just said, here, we found a, set, a way to make data resistant to replicability, or we found a way to prevent things from being copyable on the internet. And, and it described a way in which we could interact with each other using this thing, but never mentioned the word money or cash or like, then all of these, you know, high profile financial people wouldn't, wouldn't talk about it. And to be honest, like, it's sort of that <laughs> they haven't really seen the extent of the, the Trojan horse, what this thing is like, I believe some of them have to, but, but. The fact is, El Salvador has no bitcoins. MicroStrategy has no bitcoins. Some it's guy custody by other people. Yeah. Some guy has the private keys, and some guy can take those keys and go go fuck off to somewhere else, and and use them for whatever. Like that's the core of this thing. It removes all of these fictitious organizations, and it points. A, it illuminates the fact that they never existed in the first place. They were all just figments of our imagination, including countries, na nation states, religions, central banks, normal banks, all of it, bureaucracy, it, the EU, the US. It's all, it's all just ideas. And we have a better one now. That, Except Bitcoin. That, that, starts from the, that starts from the individual and ends at the individual. And that's so, Bitcoin. It's empowering so to us. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. You just, you just got me excited about something that I've been thinking about a lot, which is <laughs> the you know you you have you referred to Bitcoin as a Trojan horse several times during this conversation. Yeah, and I find the traditional financial in system inroads into Bitcoin very concerning. So you mentioned you know people love to say El Salvador owns X number of Bitcoin or MicroStrategies owns X number of Bitcoin. And as you just pointed out, no, they don't. They own an IOU for Bitcoin. And exactly. that's, better than, that's better than not owning an IOU at all. Well, I would Absolutely. argue very much so. But it and it's not better than a dollar, which is also an IOU for, for nothing to reclaim for it. Yeah. yeah, but it's not the same thing. And it feels very much like in this day and age where what's happening now is, especially with this push towards CBDCs, is that we are 
firmly in the then they fight you stage, but it feels like they are fighting the battle against Bitcoin in a very subtle way. This is a long-winded question, but my question to you is, do you spend time worrying about the, even as Bitcoin Trojan horses it way, it's, its way into the zeitgeist and people come to understand why holding your own keys is so important and why Bitcoin truly is this technological and financial revolution. Do you worry about the inroads from the other direction, this Trojan horsing in terms of paper Bitcoin and all this other stuff you just mentioned? Going uh, no, no, I'm not a worrier. I, I, uh, I try not to worry about stuff. I leave that to my wife. <laughs> so, uh, and I tell her to stop worrying too, Be because yeah, it's going to play out the way it's going to play out. And I can do very little about that. I, I can do very little about the, the flows of fiat money from one institution to another and how, how institutions will handle Bitcoin or anything else for that matter. What I can do is try to educate people on what this thing really is and how individuals can front run all of these organizations by just acquiring some of their own and book a front seat to the future of mankind in doing so. That's my role in this. And I, like I said, I, I think a fast hyper-Bitcoinization is preferable to slow one always because of how much it removes violence from the equation. So the sooner these old institutions crumble down, the better. I, I mean, look at the fall of the Soviet Union. Everyone in Russia went to sleep being a communist. And when they woke up, no one was a communist anymore. So it just disappeared overnight. So that's when one way this might end. The other way might be like the Roman Empire that people believed still existed for hundreds and hundreds of years after it. there was nothing left of it, really. But... The world moves so fast these days and we have communications techniques. I mean, we have this video conferencing thing. We have social media with all of its flaws, but we still have it and we can migrate to a new network. And everyone, everyone in Bitcoin still knows each other. So even if Bitcoin fails, we still have our connections. But, but add together social media, Zoom calls and, and Bitcoin, and you have such a powerful force so I don't think I, I don't think any institution will ever be able to stop that. I think they overestimate their their power to a, an enormous extent by thinking they can do anything about it. It's like they couldn't stop the internet, and this is way 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 faster and better than the internet. The, how this thing plays out it plays off of the networks effect of all all the other communications networks. So so it's going to go faster. I mean, look at the radio took like. 75 years to reach 1 million users or oh, 1 billion users and the tv took 50 years the mm -hmm. internet took 10 years google and facebook took like two years pokemon go took weeks and then they had a bit billion users i mean how many users do bitcoin have there's an estimate of 130 million but it's like 100 how do how would we even know the the thing we can know is that addresses with 10,000 bitcoins or more are shrinking in numbers and addresses with one bitcoin or less are growing in numbers which means that redistribution of wealth ha happens automatically on a bitcoin standard by doing the exact opposite of those who claim to be redistributing what those who claim to be redistributing wealth are doing we we're actually redistributing wealth so uh, i just i just enjoy having a front seat to this spectacular show that is going to play out in front of our eyes the next couple of years. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll sit there with popcorn and a, and a drink and enjoy myself. That's, that's what, how I plan to do, live the next I, couple of years. I mean, I think it's interesting that you brought up the internet because the internet has, is an amazing thing, but I think it's become much more co-opted than it was originally intended. And by co-opted, I mean centralized, you know, it is possible yeah. to censor people in a way that I think the, maybe not the original, you know, DARPAnet vision of the internet, but, you know, certainly like the, the, you know, cyberpunk version of the internet, it's kind of feels like it's been corrupted. You know, I think email is a, is a, is a great example, right? Email is people don't know this, but originally the idea was that you would run your own email server in your home on your own yeah, server. Yeah. And now everything is super, super centralized. And, yeah. you know, to and that's, that's bad, but, but it also points to the fact that intent doesn't matter very much. So Satoshi's intentions, they don't really matter for Bitcoin. And anyone else's personal intention of like, I'm going to acquire these Bitcoins to buy a Lambo, that, that they don't even, they don't matter either. Bitcoin is going to do what Bitcoin is going to do. We cannot do anything about it. 
TikTok next block. No human on earth can stop that. It's like trying to stop the sun from rising the next morning. <laughs> so, so this thing is to be studied and observed rather than forming opinions around it's it's going to play out the way it's going to play out and we if we can use it to reclaim some some of the privacy on the internet by by just using the lightning network for logging in at web places for instance or like paying a small fee each month uh, to to get rid of all the spam bots imagine twitter without the spam bots would be excellent right so like pay one satoshi every time you tweet and you solve that problem so so these things are possible with Bitcoin, they would have been less possible without Bitcoin. But yeah, I, I choose to observe it rather than like having opinions about what it's going to do and where the price is going to go. And like, I find that less interesting. Hmm. I guess I feel like I, I feel like I feel this uh, responsibility to like, it, you know, encourage people or 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 help people understand the importance of like privacy and self-sovereignty. Absolutely. It's so very it's important, like, yeah, but it, it's a separate thing, but it, it's still important. It's like that story of the honeypots we, we started the conversation with. Avoid honeypots. That's a very good starting point. Like, sure, <laughs> use, an, use, an, use a OneDrive, but have a backup too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's rules of Bitcoin. Avoid honeypots. Step one. Step two, yeah. hold your own keys. As step one is get off zero. <laughs> yeah. Always. Yeah, 100%. So, Canute, I feel like at a certain point, we do need to address the fact that we've talked about Bitcoin not as a money, and you very famously have called Bitcoin just a math equation. For our audience who is triggered and now rethinking their entire life, can you help calm them <laughs> down a little bit? Yeah. Ask yourselves, what is money? And <laughs> that question is endlessly deep, too. I mean... First of all, it's a medium of exchange that you can use in order to facilitate the trade when the coincidence of wants and needs is not there. So, so if I want to exchange my three goats for, for your cow, but I happen to only have two goats, I can use money, two goats and a bunch of money. I mean, yeah, this is very hard to, to take this from the top and explain it uh, top down, but, but at its core, money is just information about our wants and needs and about our inner value hierarchies because value begins in the head. That's where it stems from. We value one thing over another. The, the example I use in all pods is like right now I'm valuing this conversation higher than going out into the kitchen and making myself a sandwich. At any point I might reevaluate that and just leave you guys here and go and make myself a sandwich if I find that to be more valuable. But believe it or not, gentlemen, I find this conversation to be more valuable than making myself a sandwich at this point. So that's where value begins. And, and money <laughs> money is just an expression of that. And the, the more, the better the ruler, the, 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 the preciser, the measurements. And we have the perfect ruler now with Bitcoin because it's rules without rulers. So this ruler is, has a finite amount of tokens. And that's why it's so good to measure value with subjective value but yeah I, I won't go any deeper into this i think you'll have to figure out what money is by your own people and hopefully you can get to some conclusions but at, it, at its core it's just information just like everything else we're made up of information for fuck's sake part of my french <laughs> now you can say someone fuck you want on this show this is All a right. clean podcast we never swear i have never sworn and yeah, no, I swear all the time. It's an old Swedish word. Means... <laughs> oh, that's a great excuse. You get to say yeah. that. Yeah, it means it. a fuck organization is a uh, is a union. Wait, are you serious? A very yeah. So oh so my gosh, a, I thought you were joking. I thought you were just like I can say this because the, you don't speak my language. The union is called facket in, in in Swedish. So fuck organization. It's a union organization. Like I think it's a very good word for for a union. I'm totally. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say, yeah, work is very, very smart man. Yeah. Explain to me what this word means, and I'm using it in the correct context. Please it's spelled a little differently, though. I'm gonna pretend it's, it's spelled exactly the same. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I, I do want to take a second to to speak to our audience. If you are watching on YouTube, please, please, please be sure to like and subscribe down below on Rumble. 
there. I, go go right I, there. I see the comments here. They, they're somewhat confusing. Someone wants me to play guitar. It's not possible, unfortunately, <laughs> because I don't have a guitar with me to Madeira. Do you play guitar? Is that is that like a valid thing for someone to ask you? Yeah, it is. Okay, I play okay. guitar. <laughs> Sometimes we get bots in the chat. They're just like, eat a sandwich, milk a cow. And you're just like, why are you saying this to me? But that's sounds really yeah, bad. Yeah. That's usually you when yeah. you're having a stroke in the chat. That's also There's a lot of confusing messages here. Oh, don't 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 worry about those. I want to quickly plug for our <laughs> podcast listeners to please make sure that you I'm a crypto troll. <laughs> I'm a crypto oh. troll. Never mind me. That's quite a good. I like that. It's honest. <laughs> Honesty. Shitcoin. Clarity. Yes. So I'm curious when you were in when you were in Amsterdam. What were yep. some of the the most interesting talks that you saw as a speaker? Obviously, you're running around a ton, so I know that a lot of times you don't necessarily get to sit in on any yourself. But if you if you did, what were some of the most interesting conversations that that you saw while you were there? Well, first of all, I like to promote the free Madeira panel that happens on the SAT stage, which I, which I was on. So, so I had my my keynote, but then it was also the Madeira project. So it was very fun. I, I usually don't see very many talks at conferences because I prioritize mingling and meeting yep. people instead. I can always watch watch the the talks on YouTube later on, and I watched some of it. I found the, the that very memeable debate about media, financial media, and, and Bitcoin that that Princey hosted to be very funny. Yes. And Joe Hall, Joe Hall was funny as hell in it. Joe has grown. Joe was on Madeira with me a couple of months back, and he he I think he's killing it. He's, just grows and grows. It's so yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah, we had him on recently. So, it was he was yeah. fantastic. Actually, for the <laughs> just for people that are just tuning in, can you define what you are talking about when you mentioned Madeira? What's what's going on there? What are you working towards? What's the situation? Oh yeah, yeah. I had I was on another point pod earlier today, so it's hard to remember what I've said and what I haven't said. But the Free Madeira organization is a nonprofit organization that we set up a couple of months back, and we announced it in Amsterdam. And it's me and around twenty other big names in Bitcoin, including Jeff Booth and Greg Foss and Troy Cross, Obinuusu, Samson Mao, and of course, Andre Loja, which is the Madeiran uh, native that started the entire project by, by taking the Madeiran president to Miami this spring and having him being orange-pilled in Michael Saylor's garden by, by Michael Saylor himself for two hours, and then making that announcement on stage that they're going to make Bitcoin use easier on the island. And after that, we we met up on the island for a little more than a week. And we brainstormed during the days and drank ponchos at night and came up with all of these ideas of how to move this forward. And we now have this nonprofit organization that is still look, looking for some funding. That funding will be matched euro by euro by the Madeiran government. Madeira is a semi-autonomous uh, region of Portugal, an island outside West Africa uh, that, that has some autonomy. And it's classified as an outermost region of the EU, which means that you can do a bit more here than on mainland. So, so we're trying to make it more attractive to Bitcoiners and Bitcoin companies and also orange pilling the, the population here. So, so we have a lot of stuff going on so if you go to freemadeira.com freemadeira.com there there you'll find all the information about the organization and what we're doing and why it's about education and remittances there's a lot of madeirans in venezuela for instance it's about we, we talk to the energy company about you know attaching miners to wind farms and stuff and all sorts of th bitcoin related things so uh, yeah we're doing our first meetup here on the 4th of November. So if you want to come see me and Nico Laman and, and Andre Lor at a meetup, we're having a meetup at Cowork Funchal on the 4th of November. So come see us there and we'll we'll talk about Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, or watch the video from Amsterdam and you, you get to know more about it. Or from the Amsterdam conference. Yeah. Speaking of which... Yeah. If you go to the Bitcoin Magazine YouTube channel, you can, as Kusa has said earlier, you can subscribe to see this show every day, but we also have a playlist that is every single segment from the Bitcoin Amsterdam conference. Really, really solid stuff. Yeah. And I highly suggest you check it out. Yeah. Uh, we were just talking about. 
to add that about the talks, I, I attended two other conferences just after Amsterdam. Uh, so right after Amsterdam, I flew to Sofia, Bulgaria, to an excellent conference there and traveled around in a bus with a couple of Bitcoiners for four days. I'm thinking of making a I survived four days in a bus with Greg Foss t-shirt. That's an incredible feat. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It is. And uh, oh, greetings from Bulgaria. Hello, Bulgaria. Nice to see you again. And uh, after that, I went to Prague for the Liberty in Our Lifetime conference organized by the Free Cities Foundation. Very interesting one. The, the, the key takeaway from there is that Bitcoin is taking over the narrative and there were very few shitcoiners there. Some of them were there in, in face diapers and they tried to argue against us. But yeah, good luck. What else? Yeah, before Amsterdam, like a couple of weeks before that was the Baltic Honey Badger conference in Riga. If you know about that, that's a conference I'd like to, to chill a bit because it's very good and it's very high signal, low noise type of Bitcoin conference. So if you get the chance to go there, to go there. And of course, go to Amsterdam, which is which was a great conference. I enjoyed it a lot. And yeah, I enjoy the spectacle of it, believe it or not. But I like that it's, you know, a lot of stuff going on and a lot of people to talk to. It's a very Absolutely. happy event. Yeah. Yeah, it's, they're pretty special. They're all pretty special. Getting to see people in, in person and, and interact yeah. with them. And, ha and sort of have these, I hate this word because it's like sort of buzzword, but like these like synergies where you have these multiple people that wouldn't necessarily normally like just walking through and having these conversations that could be pretty powerful stuff. But I want to ask you about, I believe it was on a recent conversation you had on Simply Bitcoin, I think, forgive me if I'm wrong, but you were talking about how much money was printed in 2021 relative oh, yeah. to the number of Bitcoin that were produced. Can you talk about that, rehash that a little bit and tell us what you meant there? Yeah, during 2021, I did the maths on this, 21 million US dollars were printed per Bitcoin mined. No shit. So like a fifth of the dollars in existence were printed during COVID. So 20% of them. Well, just during 2021. Uh, yeah, so just during 2021, $8 trillion were printed. And a Bitcoin was mined on average, on average about every 90th, second so if you do the maths there <laughs> you you get to the figure 21 million dollars per bitcoin mind and i think it's so poetic and it gives you a hint at where where this where this is going yeah so I love it. take away what you want from that information and so because as will i i will too <laughs> what do you take away from it <laughs> yeah buy Bitcoin, sell all the crappy uh, cryptocurrencies. They're, Fair enough. They're not, they're not for you, they're for the people with the money printer. Fair enough. M maths is awesome. I did the maths, lol. <laughs> Hello from I mean, Scotland. Think, Hello, Scotland. I think that's one of the, the most, like, like, that is a very clear way to define the value of Bitcoin because I think something that a lot of Americans lose sight of is we see the price of Bitcoin always priced in us dollars but bitcoin is priced in every currency around the world and so in turn while we have conversations around oh inflation is happening in america yada 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 you go somewhere like turkey and it looks like the price of bitcoin has skyrocketed you go to a place like iran the price of bitcoin has skyrocketed because their local fiat currency has just cratered and i wonder can you like are you like what is your expectations right now, given where the euro has been and what the euro and the ECB has said they want to do over the course of this last year? Like, what is the future of just the euro fiat currency, in your opinion? It looks pretty bleak, to be honest. Like when they talk about you know price limits on on uh, energy. That's like a, a very clear sign of the beginning of the end. Price controls that never ends well. So, I, I think they they pressed the gas pedal a bit too too far down this time, and it's going to be hard to break this impending car crash. You know, higher and higher energy prices in Europe during this winter, and meteorologists predicting a colder winter than usual. On top of that, you know, no more Russian gas and nuclear power plants being shut down every reactors being shut down 
everywhere. The funny thing that, yeah, the funny thing is that Europe did this to itself. Like the, the, we we left children in charge of of things that should have been run by adults or uh, not run at all, preferably, but left to rules without rulers, which is like the that's the most adult thing there is, I guess. But but it's not looking good. Maybe they can keep it running for for another couple of years. But I think we will see more and more civil unrest and more and more things like Brexit, like smaller nations breaking out of the EU because it's it's getting it's looking pretty bleak. And you get sort of a perspective from going to the US or talking to to people from other continents. They have they're more pessimistic about the EU than than the Europeans are. But they, they see the problems from a different perspective. And like there's, there's no real, on a global global scale, there's no real need for the euro to exist at all, right? So I think it's going to drop in value compared to the dollar still. And the nations that still have their national currencies, they're going to fare even worse. I've seen that myself with my native Swedish krona that has gone down in comparison to both the euro and the dollar. I think it's worth half of what it was when I was in the US the first time, like 15 years back. You could buy a dollar for around six Swedish krona, and now it's around 12. So that's not not a healthy change. Now, people don't think about these things, but in reality, that's someone stole half of your money. Like, you ought to be upset. (laughs) It's so fucked up. It's uh, very fucked up. Yeah. We're talking about it all we've talked about it before, but the fact that, you know, in previous times when somebody wanted to fund a war or project, when a monarch, they had to literally send a collect, a coin collector, a tax collector to go into people's homes and be like, show me your coins. And then they would take some percentage yeah. of them. And that was, yeah. that was, that was a difficult thing to convince people they needed to do. Generally it was at, you know, sword point. Whereas now the magical, the terrible Malthusian spell of inflation works such that you can just take people's money and they don't even realize that that's exactly what you're doing. They don't realize that the government is literally reaching into the future and stealing value from them no we're still in world war one the great yeah. war that that started with money printing and that funded the war and prolonged it and funded the entire second world war ii and it's it's a war fought between governments against their populations and we're still That's in exactly it. what it is and if if we're if you're being forced to give up give up your 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 stuff every fucking month you're you're a prisoner of war. You're you're a partial slave, and you're not free. So as long as people don't realize that that's what's going on, they're they, they, they're still going to be enslaved. But as soon as they realize that there's another way, this this war ends, and it ends it ends in the, the peaceful revolution that is hyperbitcoinization, and that's what makes me so hopeful. Uh, it can end the great war. I think that oh, so that's big. a ser- serious note to end on. <laughs> I was about to say that is a very, very serious note. I want to give you the opportunity. Oh, you're all. Oh no, no. There I am. No, I, I can say, not say Siri. Damn it! Can you? I want to give you the opportunity to say any final words and have our audience know how they can stay up to date with any of your newest writings or any of the work that you are doing. All my stuff is on knutsvanom.com. That's where you'll find. Everything from T-shirts to books to coffee mugs to videos and everything else. And my my Bitcoin rants and shit posting is mainly my main channel is Twitter. So I'm at Knut Swan on, on Twitter, which you can see on the screen there, I believe. See, it's confusing for everyone, man. <laughs> he nailed it though. You fuck it up every time, Q. And I do. He got it in one. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that, that's the main two. And go to freemadeira.com and check out that project. It's a cool project. Check out the Consensus Network. You'll find that from clicking on my book at my my webpage and all the good stuff they're go- doing. Yeah, and keep on Bitcoining in the free world or not so free world or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin wherever you are. Yeah. Awesome. Can you, thank you so much for your time. And for our audience, I want to give you one last reminder Tickets for Bitcoin 2023. I almost said Bitcoin Amsterdam. (laughs) Tickets for Bitcoin 2023 are available right now. We are going back to Miami for a three-peat. It's going to go down May 18th to the 20th. If you miss Bitcoin Amsterdam, if you miss Bitcoin 2022, if you miss Bitcoin 2021, you got to come. 
You got to come. You're not going to want to miss this. The FOMO has set in. I know how badly you wanted to be there in Amsterdam. Make it out to Miami. Use promo code BM Live to get 10% off of your tickets today. And of course, the censorship resistant issue of the Bitcoin print magazine is available at your Barnes and Nobles, or you can use promo code BM Live to get 10% off of that and a subscription to get the Orange Party edition. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>